You're listening to the Rabbit Room Podcast. Visit us at rabbitroom.com for more information. Hello, I'm Jonathan Rogers. Welcome to the Rabbit Room Podcast. In this episode, Russ Ramsey and Andy Osinga sit down with Pete Peterson and me to discuss sickness, disasters, funerals, and the TV show Nashville. I promise it's more fun than it sounds. We are um, sitting by the, what's this called again? That's called uh, Steve. <laughs> oh, okay. Sitting by the uh, wood-burning stove at Northwind Manor, and I've got uh, Russ Ramsey and Andy Osinga, and we're going to be talking today about, well, about grieving and about... Yeah, but that doesn't sound very cheerful. No, no, no. We're, we're talking about, I want to talk about um, jest as a part of mourning. Jest, J-E-S-T. J-E-S-T, jest. Okay. You know, so so when you, you know, in 1 Corinthians 15, there's that, that part at the end where, where it says, a death where is your victory, a death where is your sting. It, it's, it's always struck me as a little bit of a taunt. You know mm-hmm. that that verse is is not just a rhetor- rhetorical flourish, but it's a it's a it's a taunt um, directed at death. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, as a as a pastor, I've done funerals, um, and I've I've been mainly uh, a pastor of rather young congregations, and so a lot of the funerals that I've done have been. Young people, uh-huh. most of them have been have been, really? you know, suspend cancer or, yeah. or things like that, and and uh, you know, when when somebody dies, people rally around and they say, "This is what this is the kind of funeral we want to have. We don't want it to be a sad thing. We want it to be a celebration of the person's life." And you know, part of my job as a pastor is to say, "Let's definitely make it a celebration of their life, but let's also be sad. Let's grieve. Let's mourn. Let's not uh, sidestep that as though." Um, celebrating the person's life is something that you can do in place of uh, grieving. But then, uh, so I've always kind of had those two things, you know, the, the, the grieving and the, and the, um, um, the celebrating, but then uh, Andy and I have had this, this ongoing uh, exchange of a a particular gift um, that I've given to him and he's given back to me. And now I've given to him again recently (laughs) that has been sort of in the name of uh, laughing at suffering and and laughing at at pain, but not in a glib way, not in a, in a lighthearted way. Um, But uh, so I, okay. So, um, well, it started with your house flooding. Yeah, to like four-ish years ago. Now. 2000, oh, well, in 2010, it was it was it was. A, well, there was this, there was, that was a Nashville flood. That's right. This was just a. Then in 2012, flood. Oh, 12, as they was, say. This was the second the, flood. Yeah, the extra the extra the flood second, that you just for you. Yeah, just for us. It was we were. Uh, yeah, my my wife and and my three daughters. We had just had Charlotte, our youngest, so she was an infant a sick infant and we had gone to a, a young life camp and I was doing music and we were there for a month. We were there three, we, two days before we were going to come home, we found out that a pipe had burst in our house and had run for three weeks. And it, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> and it just, wait, wait, I'm sorry. Was it like spewing for three weeks yeah. or was it? Yeah. It, um, ceiling collapsed of the basement floors, but, but had had all buckled the uh, HVAC had exploded 
And, Wait, did you um, say the eight track had the exploded? The eight track, our heating and our heating unit, <laughs> the air conditioner had blown up and then was blowing, but the fire was contained in it, and it was blowing hot air. So I walked in and in it was August, and it was a the the, the thermometer on our thermostat was pegged at one sixty. That's as high as it went, but it was hotter. What? Really? Um, you couldn't. You could barely breathe it was so hot i mean it, it was almost it almost burned down except it was so wet um wow. we so we lost everything so your house and was a stew we lost everything so yeah um and we and so i came home my wife and and daughters stayed at the camp and they let them stay a few extra days feeding them and taking care of just loving on them yeah. amazing people and and they went to stay with our in-laws for a little my in-laws for a little bit in north carolina and so I was just living in the Hampton Inn a few miles from my house in just kind of shock. Uh, and we just had a rough season up to that. Like, it wasn't like things had been going great. It was like, we barely made it to that. And then it just judo chopped the legs out of us. And so... Like a us, cassowary. Like a, much like a cassowary. <laughs> <laughs> it's spiky four-inch... <laughs> Ninja Claw. Um, so Russ and I went out to coffee, and I just was basically in shock. And he, uh, we were just talking about all sorts of things, and he pulls out of his, I was, I don't know. I, well, I wasn't yeah. crying. I was just, you, I was yeah, just you were, numb. You, you, was you, just were in, you were in shock, and, and you're kind of having a crisis of faith in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know? In a, I mean, just asking the question anybody would ask why in the world would would God allow this to happen what yeah what are you doing what do I do now yeah, yeah. As, as I was getting ready to leave to go meet you for coffee um I pray you know Lord I don't make me a good listener to my friend who's who's hurting who's lost his house and and who's who's struggling um and give me words for him and if 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 you want me to have any words for him, and um, it may have been the Holy Spirit, it may have been some sick, twisted part of me. But I prefer to think it was the Holy Spirit, <laughs> little above, mostly. <laughs> was I, I went to? Uh, I had this idea walking out the door that I needed to print out something and bring it to you. And uh, it was the. Um, I'll, you want me to tell them what it was? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it, it, you, everybody's seen this uh, probably. It's a picture of a kitten in a tree hanging on to a branch to a branch. And then in this just awful font, like the full house font, the full house <laughs> font, the words, yeah, but it predates full house. Right. By Definitely. A decade yeah. or two. Definitely. So, so, so in that font are the words hang in there. <laughs> <laughs> and so at this, at this moment of just of incredible sorrow and struggle, I, I, in all seriousness, I pull this thing out of my backpack. Unfolds and, it. Black and white. <laughs> print out. Print out. And you hand it to him. couldn't even get the one from Spencer's that's in color. No, no. I, it had the timestamp on the bottom from, my, from, from the internet. <laughs> so he could tell that I had only printed it out about a half hour before. <laughs> so this was definitely not uh, too premeditated. Oh, so um, good. <laughs> so, yeah, so he hands that to me, and I, you know, and I just burst laughing, which I hadn't done much of in the last <laughs> few days, and which was such a gift uh, just to have... You know, the the joke, I mean, it was funny because it, it was just like of all the things like I need, I'm, 
I need hundreds of thousands of dollars right now. Like, <laughs> and like everything, you know, everything I need everything. And this is what he hands me. Like one of my dearest friends is this piece of paper for kitten. <laughs> you know, and I just died laughing. It was just, uh, it was, it was, it was such a, it was sweet. It was a real gift. It was the absurdity of it, right? It was, so I mean, absurd, it, yeah. it, was it was, yeah. So, so then fast forward a, a year or so and I, I have this, a bacterial infection that causes me to to have to have open heart surgery, and uh, I know this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, so this was out of the blue. I've been a generally healthy person my whole life, and all of a sudden, I'm facing my mortality. I'm having to put my house in order. I'm having to draw up a living will. You know, all these things that are that are in the event that that they they can't fix me. Um, and so I'm in the hospital. Uh, this is the first time I was in the hospital with the, the infection, and they're trying to treat it. And, uh, you know, scared and, and not sure what's going to happen. And Andy comes to visit me in the hospital. And what does he have to give me? A different printout of the kitten because I definitely had lost the original because I definitely had burned the original yes. <laughs> uh, I like to think that you just kept the original because it was so I dear I know I, I do have it somewhere I've, but I, I yeah got lost in the shuffle but it still exists but yeah I printed another one just tacked it on your wall in your <laughs> hospital so I'm sitting here looking at this thing but but part of it was now it's not just I gave Andy a funny picture. Now he's given it back to me and it's sort of become a language. It's sort of, it's become something that now has a meaning for us of saying to each other in our, in our, uh, you know, uh, it, it, when we're standing in, in the rubble of a catastrophe, um, sort of mocking it. And, and it makes me think of, of that, you know, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? Uh, sort of for, for brothers mm. to, uh, to, to be willing to observe the absurdity of 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 I don't know of mortality of of um, the pain of the of just the impossibility of of being able to fix what's wrong uh, and yeah. having to just rely on uh, sovereignty having to rely on on uh, the providence of God for things that are just beyond our reach. Um, so my wife was at Hobby Lobby uh, while I was recovering from heart surgery, and uh, she brought me home a, a cross-stitch kit, uh, a little a little eight-inch uh, square cross-stitch kit of this kitten in the tree um, that says, hang in there, and it came with the colored threads. And, Did and, it come uh, with a little ring? Did the, the yeah, ring thing yeah. come with it? Yeah, it, it yeah. came with the ring, and it came with the little the little cloth. And what you can't see is Andy is holding it I'm in his holding hand it right now. I'm holding it up to the mic so you can hear it. But she brought it home to me, kind of because it had now become a now it become sort of a love language in our in our family and with our friends that this was a thing we did. And uh, so I, I was going to spend part of my time convalescing, making this needlepoint. <laughs> Andy to give to him. I had this vision of like I'm going to do all. I'm going to do it. I'm going to frame it and everything. Anyway, so I, oh. I started off with the pink thread and did its nose and the inside of one of its ears and completely lost interest. <laughs> <laughs> and if I found it in a drawer. How did you like, pick, how'd you start with pink? Was that I the, the it, smallest? It looked like the easiest. Just, yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. I'm not. I'm not experienced with this sort of really? thing. But I found it in a drawer uh, a couple months ago and. Uh, with the pink thread and the needle still in it. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. I'm going to give it back to Andy 
just like this. I'm not going to, I'm not going to finish it. I'm going to leave the needle and the thread and the whole thing just completely, um, just this, this very, uh, I can't say the word. The word half-ass comes to mind. That's the word I was thinking of. Um, Attempt at making a needlepoint, which just furthers the the absurdity of the whole thing. But uh, so, what do you guys think? I mean, I I, I want to tease this out a little bit um, in my own mind of what's is is the death wears your victory, death wears your sting. Is is that uh, kind of a biblical directive to? Yeah, the, I mean, there's a long tradition that the one thing the devil can't stand is mockery. Mm. And um, and from what I understand about the history of Halloween, it was a matter of not celebrating the dark side, but mocking. Mm, yeah, the, I mean, the whole idea of the devil having his horns and a tail. Yeah, that's mockery. That's not. Yeah, no, nobody ever took that seriously. Yeah, um, and um, and so I think there's uh, there's a lot of that going on in 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 First uh, Corinthians. Is it First Corinthians fifteen? Yeah, First Corinthians fifteen. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's. Drawing or the, maybe the tradition draws on yeah first Corinthians fifteen rather than the way around yeah um, it strikes me like that. that that it in a lot of the the grieving situations that I've been in um, how jest or humor inevitably comes into play mm-hmm. um, you know that 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 it's it it and it's it's kind of out of the blue and there's something in the way that we're wired that makes us um, this strikes us funny uh, when we when we suffer, and and that's a question that I'm just I'm, it it's got me going right now. Can I just uh, from personal experience, um, I've lost, I guess, all of my grandparents now, and uh, so I remember going to all those funerals, and I like, I mean, I do, I remember, you know, there were the moments where somebody you know stood up during the funeral and told a sad story, and people cried, and there was all that, but overwhelmingly what I remember about all those experiences was just slap happy laughing, Mm. you know, whether it was people during the service standing up and telling these ridiculous, funny stories that just got everybody in the pews giggling or the, you know, the, the gathering before or the reception afterward, like it was just marked by this, you know, huge feeling of laughter and, you know, fun. And it wasn't until, uh, later in life that, I started realizing that not everybody has that experience at funerals. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not sure exactly why that is. It's not necessarily just a difference between believers and non-believers, because I know know, some people who've lost loved ones and gone to the funerals, and it was, you know, uh, not unexpected death. Yeah. Uh, And, but, you know, it wasn't marked by this joyous thing. And I don't know exactly how to explain that, but uh, Mm. it's interesting. Yeah. 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 My, um, can I tell a story? Oh, please. I feel like I'm monopolizing the... the okay, so um, a, a, a detail I need to tell before I tell the story is my, my mother travels for a living, and she uh, started a long time ago collecting beaches. Uh, so whenever she's at a beach, uh, or she's near one, she'll go and she'll get a little Ziploc baggie full of that sand. And so she collects, she has all these little jars of, of sand from different beaches all over the place. <laughs> that detail... What? That detail comes into yeah. into play in, in a minute. Have you heard the story before? No. Okay, so um, so uh, a number of years ago, my uh, pop pop, my grandfather, uh, passed away, and um, he is so my mom's dad, and 
back when when they were young, they lived on Staten Island, my Nana and Pop Pop, and they had bought their burial plots on Staten Island. But since then, they had moved to North Carolina and were living there. And uh, my mom and my aunt were living near near them as well. So the whole family had kind of migrated south, um, more or less. Uh, but when he died, they, you know, they were going to send his uh, ashes up to uh, Staten Island, and my mom and my aunt were kind of sad about that. They 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 didn't want, you know, they were like, well, it's, it's what we're going to do. But they, if they had their druthers, they wouldn't have they would have had him buried in North Carolina. Well, anyway, um, my aunt was was sort of handling the arrangements with the funeral home, and and so uh, he was my, my pop up was cremated, and the funeral home uh, called my aunt and said, you know, we have his personal effects if you want to come pick them up, and uh, she was doing she was busy or something like that, so she called her husband, my uncle, and said, hey, the funeral home has some things for you to pick up. Would you go uh, get them and the, from from uh, pop up? And so he went to the funeral home. I think it was like a Sunday or something, or, or maybe not a Sunday. But anyway, there was there was a person working there, like a young person working there, and he didn't really have much detail. He just went in and said uh, said his name and said, "I'm here to pick up, um, you know, George Aspen, some, some George Aspinwall." And he said, yeah, "Hang on a second. And so he brought him the the box of of his ashes and handed them to my uncle. And my uncle didn't know that he wasn't supposed to be getting the box of ashes, so he took it home. And so, uh, so my aunt gets home and she says, did you get, you know, the, his effects from the, from the funeral home? He goes, I got him. <laughs> <laughs> and effects, nothing. she said, she said, what? She goes, he goes, yeah, she, he's on the, he's on the kitchen counter. Um, and so she went in and, and there's this, sure enough, there's this box of, of ash from, from, uh, that's my, my pop-up. And she starts thinking all of a sudden and she calls my mom and she says, uh, we have a little situation here. Um, what do you think we should do? And it didn't take long before they, they decided that they were going to take some, they, they were going to scoop out some of his remains into Ziploc baggies and keep them. And, uh, and so my mom calls me on the phone and she says, she explains the situation and then she asks me the question that, you know, we all know is coming. She says, do you want some? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I said, no, but I have to admit, I was, I was kind of intrigued about it. And, uh, so anyway, so they, they took like, you know, a, a measuring cup and scooped out <laughs> two cups of my pop up and then packaged the box back up and took it back to the funeral yeah, home all kind of like total, do you have any sense of how many cups total it would be like? uh, it's probably like a gallon it's probably like a, a gallon yeah it's probably, it's okay. probably in like the big a, lebowski it was a gallon jar think of a large can. coffee can um okay. anyway they took the remains back to the funeral home kind of like uh hey mistake here you go we weren't supposed to get these no no harm done um and they kind of kept these these ashes well if that isn't funny enough this is part of the jest as a part of grieving is my mom uh, my pop pop loved the ocean and so mom wanted to have a little s- ceremonial type of scattering of the ashes and so she brought a portion of him to the the beach when we were out there visiting um 
Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. And uh, my mom and I waded out into the water about about waist deep in the ocean. And she had, you know, these little Ziploc baggie full of maybe half a cup of his ashes. And we were going to, you know, we said some words and we were going to sprinkle the ashes into the ocean. And uh, we said some words and sprinkled the ashes into the ocean. Now, you know, they didn't sink. Like a lot of it this stayed on the surface from surface tension or whatever. And the waves were coming in. And so we're standing there and all of a sudden we're just kind of covered in pop-up. <laughs> and we both just started laughing because it, it was the funniest thing. I, I don't know why it was it was so funny, but it was the instinct for both of us just be like, <laughs> "What else are you going to do but laugh?" Right. What else are you going to do but laugh? But it just it seemed like it was it was part of um, it was part of the universe laughing too. You know mm-hmm. that there's this this absurdity to the to the to the dust uh, of what's left. Um, when when we're gone, you know, and uh, um, anyway, I, I just I'm trying I'm I'm trying to untangle that in my mind a little bit. Can but, I can I tell another story to just tack onto that? Yeah, yeah. can I just ask one question about yeah. your story? Yeah, why'd you tell us about her collecting beaches? Uh, <laughs> because the other half cup of pop pop, she put in a container that looks a lot like the containers of beaches, and she doesn't know which, which one which is, is pop-pop <laughs> and which one is a beach she doesn't know right now. She doesn't label the jars. Well, she did, she did label them, and then they they moved, and she moved some things around, and one thing led to another, okay. and sand looks like sand. And, Could be Hilton uh, you know, and, and, yeah. and It's all different. <laughs> so, so somewhere, one of these beaches is not actually a beach, but it's my pop-pop. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Is Thank it, you for circling me back I on think that. That's we might the have detail. crossed some <laughs> threshold for the Rabbit Room podcast here. <laughs> and my question is, have we? <laughs> so I have, a, I have yes. a friend who used to be an audio engineer. He worked at the studio over in Berry Hill, and he was doing this uh, record of a southern rock band. And I forget the name. It wasn't like a. It wasn't some band you've heard of, but it was definitely like, it had Eagle in the name. I'm pretty sure it wasn't the Eagles, but it was like, you know, Southern rock band. And we're kind of walking around the studio some after they had left and we were doing something else in there and just, they had all their gear set up and I'm pretty sure it was Billy Cervini goes over and, and picks up the shaker that was sitting on the, uh, on the music stand right by the lead singer and just, Shaking this thing, and and our buddy runs and goes. No, no, put that down, put that down. Why, bro? That's his dad's ashes. He's on every song on the record. Oh no! Wow! What's a shaker? What was Billy doing there? We were. I don't. We were going to cut wow. some. Like he didn't need to be the music. Something else. Yeah, okay. yeah. Just we were. Wow. Just there. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So at the risk of going too far. I'm going to tell one more story. Good. <laughs> also Good. Give involves, me some distance. Also involves ashes. But uh, when uh, after I'd left home, I guess, and I came back from you know abroad and visited, and uh, my parents had befriended this guy named Dan. And uh, from what I remember, he was. Do you remember this no, story? From what I remember, like he was he, he was estranged from his family, and he was elderly, and he kind of just had nobody in the world. And uh, moved into town and became a friend of my dad's. And in the last years of his life, Dan's life, uh, uh, I think our family was some of his only friends. So when he died, 
uh, dad ended up with his ashes, which he wanted scattered on the o- in the ocean somewhere. But dad just kind of never remembered to do it. And uh, so, you know, we would come home for like Thanksgiving or Christmas and, uh, and somebody would go, oh, wait, where's Dan? And somebody would go and open a cabinet and pull out this box and set it like, well, as we're gathered around the tree, there would be me and my brother and my sister and then the box. And I, and I, I may be imagining this memory, but I think there were times when maybe somebody even bought him a present, <laughs> like just as a joke. Yeah. But it, so it became a running joke in the family, like, oh, Dan's around, you know, it's Thanksgiving, let's pull him out and set him in place, you know, mm-hmm. and the, there would be his thing sitting there and we'd all laugh about it. And eventually dad did scatter his ashes. But for years, I think we had Dan's uh, ashes that was part of our family story. Which I like thought was beautiful in this weird kind of way because yeah. here's a man who had lost his own family yeah. and died alone and uh, would have been completely forgotten, I think, by the world, except that we, by mistake and in jest, kept his ashes around and it kind of like folded into our own stories where it's this thing that we remember now. And, uh, and I, I just thought it was strangely beautiful that it kind of gave him this memoriam that he wouldn't have had otherwise. And, uh, it, and it so affected me that I've joked with my wife often that when I die, I want to be, you know, cremated. And then I want to put in my will that my ashes shall be passed around amongst my family, like in perpetuity. <laughs> so that the, the, everybody who comes after me will be forced to deal with me. <laughs> I'm glad you said family, not friends. That's funny. Uh, and that's funny. Jonathan Rogers. That's funny. But that's fast. That's exactly what, a, what, what, that's such a good story because I'm thinking about like you're not we're not just mocking death but we're also honoring the dead in a way you know I mean it's because like with Dan you know your story of Dan you're actually you're not making fun of Dan Right. When you do that. And what I thought was beautiful about it was that normally, especially in our society today, like we uh, just the other day, we drove by a a cemetery that was on some back road in the middle of nowhere. And it was kind of like it irritated me because I realized what we do is people die and we put them away where we don't have to see or think about them. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, through much of human, human history, especially Christian history, the dead were buried in the churchyard. And for a very specific yeah. reason, you know, because we were expecting to see them again, and they were yeah. kept there uh, amongst the faithful, you know, yeah. where they had lived their lives. And we don't do that anymore. So when somebody dies, like, it's really easy, it's easy for us to forget that they were there. And, like, my experience with Dan was that, oh, man, this is this person who's passed on, but we get to keep them. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I see him on the mantle, and I see him at Christmas. And uh, so that it's almost like they have this second, secondary life. Yeah. Even in death, right? You know, it was really interesting. Well, it's like the, it's like the the dignity of his personhood has continued on, right? Through your family having him around, like he's he's a person, he's a character in your story now, right? Um, and there's no reason why he should have been, other than that you all interacted with his with yeah. his remains. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the thing about it, just in the larger sense, the thing about jest or like laughing during tragedy or in, in a tragedy is that it intrinsically is tied to hope, mm. you know, yeah. it, because like if you meet, we've all probably been these people, but we know these people who are like in deep depression and there's no hope and there's no laughter, you know, but the laughter, it, it, it it's a signal that like, Hey, the, there's something else beyond this moment, you know? And I think when you can't see past that moment, that's when, 
all laughter stops, all joy stops, you know? And so I think what that, what that does and what that hope encourages me to remember when my friends are, and my family are going through those things is like that that is a way to point us towards hope, you know? And it doesn't, it feels, you can feel in the moment, especially it's one thing when it's, you know, you're going to be okay, but it's physical stuff, but it's another when you're dealing with death, it can feel shameful to laugh or wrong. Um, but to know that that it really is a, that really is a, a, a signpost towards just, you know, the hope and our future. You know? Yeah. It, it, it always strikes me as disrespectful when people say we're not going to grieve, we're going to celebrate, you know? Mm, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I went to a funeral not too long ago where there was so much celebration. I was like, would somebody just let me be sad about the fact that this guy was a great guy mm. died. And it was a guy in the music business, and, and it's interesting because th- there was there was a sort of competition almost between that he was he was you know sort of a huge figure in the in the music business, and so lots of musicians wanted to play for his funeral, and then you had the the Catholic priests trying to do I mean not trying doing the the uh, the official Catholic service. And it would kind of go back and forth between the two, and, and like they'd show a video, so they'd have to take the cross down, to, so so, so oh, wow. they show the video, then they put the cross back up. The, the priest would say, "Let's put the cross back up." And but um, but so the priests were trying to to do the the solemnity of, of the Catholic service, and then it, it kept getting interrupted by you know <laughs> rock and roll, you know, and uh, and I just kept thinking, could I please just grieve? And, and I got to tell this one story. This one guy comes out there. One of the one of the singers is. How's everybody doing tonight? <laughs> You're joking. Well, our friend died, and he goes, he goes. Oh, sorry. That was just kind of. Refl- I mean, he's kind of like you, you immediately realize that's not what you say at a funeral. You know. For the record, you guys are here at my funeral. Somebody needs to play guitar solo. <laughs> <laughs> I might start learning how to play the guitar. You know, I always I'm say joking, about joking. guitar solos. I only like guitar solos by people I know. <laughs> like I don't like guitar solos, but when you play one, I, I love well, it. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> um, I don't like striper guitar solos. Sorry, Russ. No, it's all Not right. Yet. That's all right. <laughs> yet. We're going to arrange a meeting. That's impossible because those are dueling guitar solos. <laughs> you know what? Maybe the best I, I probably haven't given them a fair chance. But <laughs> I mean, play one so do you? Do you? You do funerals. I mean, are you having mm-hmm. to to navigate that? Are there families who are like, we don't want to grieve at all. We just want to celebrate. You said it. You said you do. Yeah, I, th- I find that I find that um, part of my job as a pastor, as a clergyman, um, is to help people know that it's okay to be sad. You know, um, I think mm-hmm. there's a there's a feeling maybe that it's strangely not spiritually mature right. to mm. grieve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's actually the most spiritually mature thing in the world to do is to, is to, is to, be, is to mourn. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, sometimes when people say, you know, I had one where, where they, <coughs> excuse me, where they um, released helium balloons uh, at, the, at the graveside. And I told him, I said, okay, that's, that's, if you guys want to do that, that's fine. I want you to know that um, before we do that, I'm going to say some pretty solemn 
words about about committing um, our sister's soul to the Lord and her body to the earth. Um, so uh, there's going to be some tension there, and it'll be healthy tension. But I but I want to um, do that, and they and they were really appreciative of that, really, because I think I think if you well, because I think it just doesn't ring true yeah. that that somebody died, and and the only thing I'm allowed to do mm-hmm. is celebrate yeah. that person's life. Um, and the reason it doesn't ring true is because uh, you know, as Christians, we we understand that death has an origin, um, that death is not the way it's supposed to be. It's an intruder. Um, it's the wage of sin, uh, and the whole point of redemption. <coughs> The whole point of redemption is that death would be no more. Mm-hmm. There would be no more sickness or crying or you know pain. All these things would be done away with. All things would be made, be made new. And uh, so I think part of my job as a pastor is to help people have hope for that by telling them grieve, yeah. be sad, mourn. Um, because there's in the grand scheme of eternity, there's a limited window of time when we will mourn. Uh, and now is the time uh, to do that. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And is this equally true for fictional funerals as actual funerals, like TV funerals? <laughs> I know you have some expertise on that. Oh, for our yeah. listeners who don't know, uh, Russ was also performed a funeral on the TV show Nashville. Yes, yes. Can, uh, can I talk about that? Can I tell a story about that? Please. Okay, so... Um, so, first thing is... It's Andy's the, time you're taking, not mine. I'm sorry, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I love this story. So, my episode that I was in, I was in the season finale. I was in the finale of season one. So, the last episode of season one, uh, you can get it on iTunes uh, or Amazon <laughs> Prime. Um, do you get a cut of that if we, if we get that? Actually, I do. I get residuals. <laughs> So I'm not funny. kidding. Like every quarter, I get a check in the mail for nine dollars and change. Yeah, I'm not kidding. It's, it's because about the same every. Yeah, because it's on CMT and in uh, you know in in uh, amazing syndication as we call it in the biz. Um, <laughs> but anyway, the cool thing about my episode was it was written by uh, Callie Corey, who wrote Thelma and Louise. And so they didn't, at the time, they didn't know if the show was going to get a second season. And so they had Callie Curry, who was the producer, uh, and she was also the director of that episode, write it. And what was awesome, my friend who, who got me the job, he was um, uh, one of the guys on the set. He said, this is a woman who knows how to end things. If you've seen Thelma and Louise, the ending of Thelma and Louise is epic. <laughs> yeah. So you get to be a part of an ending that was written by the same person that wrote the ending for Thelma and Louise. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's great. So, um, so, yeah, it was a funeral um, at this old uh, giant old funeral uh, cemetery out in, in uh, downtown Nashville where they have a bunch of Civil War uh, graves and all that. Um, and... Uh, so I'm I'm there with uh, Connie Britton, uh, Tammy Taylor, Tammy Taylor, uh, um, and uh, she she's one of the characters in the scene, and so the 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 set there's probably 150 or 200 people um, on between you know uh, security and catering and 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 you know film crew and and all that stuff, so um, and it's it's. The sun's shining. It's middle of the day. It's warm. We're all dressed in black, so it's kind of hot out there and everything. And um, so, so I'm standing next to Connie Britton, 
and she's looking at her script and she needs to go and, and film a scene. And so we're in this old cemetery and there's just vehicles and people everywhere, you know, it, it just all over the place. And it's a little unnerving. Like, is this, is this an okay thing to be doing? And, uh, she has this script and she needs to set it down and there's this headstone right in front of her. And she starts to like set it down on the headstone, like a table. And then she kind of pulls it back and she looks at me and she goes, is this okay? <laughs> and I looked around and I said, I, I think we're way past that. <laughs> and then she laughed and walked away. And that was hey, my, that was did, my comfort was she story. Because you were a pastor or because you were just the nearest person to ask? Because I was the nearest person to ask. Uh, uh, maybe because know. I was a pastor. Did you know you were a pastor? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she did. She did. Can't fake that. You can't. It, it just, it, <laughs> He's not that good an actor. Yeah. <laughs> That's my Connie Britton story. It's, it's not the best Connie Britton but my story. My wife has a story of like shopping f- for cheese at Kroger right next to her. So that's not as good of a story as yours. <laughs> I made her laugh. I made Tammy Taylor Wait, laugh. Wait, that's the end of your story? That's pretty much the end of it, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, can you talk? I mean, but but you you didn't. But your funeral was not script. Your funeral homily was not scripted. That was you. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. She she yeah. Callie, well, do I have to be here for every story? Yes. Yeah, she, she asked me to to say what I would say at a funeral. The uh, screenwriter, she, the, the writer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She, I mean, she gave me like the book of common prayer, or like a you know a standard liturgy for thing, and she said, "Now, now just kind of make it make it how you would you would do it." And uh, so I got to I got to riff a little bit um, <laughs> on syndicated or network television show. Yeah, man. Um, All right, so I'm, I'm going to walk you through one other part of the story. Farrell, yes. Okay. 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 What am I because you gave a funeral homily on Nashville. Yes. That was enough lines. That allowed oh, yeah, you yeah, to. Yeah. That was enough lines for me to be eligible to join the Screen Actors Guild, <laughs> which there were a ton of people on the set who were extras or or uh, had roles, but they never got to speak or they were stand-ins. And because they didn't have lines, they weren't eligible to join the Screen Actors Guild. And I, who had never acted in my life, never aspired to, um, <laughs> got this opportunity just sort of dropped in my lap by a friend and I felt bad saying no to him. So I said, yes. And all of a sudden I'm eligible to join the screen actors guild and vote on like the Emmys. Uh, <laughs> I didn't amazing. join though, because it would have cost like $3,000 to, to, which would have taken how many to, years to, to pay jo- back? It would have taken a long time. It would have taken a long time. But I still get, I still get residual checks every quarter. Um, and it tells me, you know, from, from, you know, Downloads and syndication on CMT. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> well, your residual checks are bigger than many of my uh, royalty checks, so. Well, well maybe yeah, you should yeah. think about getting into I, television. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I found the wrong business. <laughs> For more information about the Rabbit Room and the Rabbit Room podcast, visit us at rabbitroom.com. The music on this podcast was composed and performed by Andrew Osinga from his album Solar Wind.